0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Would now be an inopportune time to drop in an, <laughs> drop in an anecdote from Japan. Yes, Because it's going to concern all of you uh, if you're at the World Cup. Please. Is, uh, so when I was out there, the... Um, I was whisked away from the the test match To be taken to the traditional spa town of Hakone And Japanese spas um, Hot thermal pools Wonderful stuff, beautiful setting What I didn't realise until they took me there And said that I had to go through the experience Myself with my interpreter Is that it's traditionally done Completely in the nude Mm. And it's really frowned upon to wear any clothes whatsoever. You got any pictures? So I, (laughs) (laughs) you definitely don't want that. And so did it all. You know, very relaxing, but no eye contact made with anyone whatsoever. After I'd done it all, the the people who organised the tour said that was fantastic, wasn't it? Wasn't it great? Um, do you think your colleagues in the press corps would want to do that as well? And I said absolutely, but I think I'll be washing my hair that day. So I don't. I just to warn you that if you go to Japan. You may have to go into rooms together. Oh, I think it'd be brilliant. Completely in the mood. I think he comes to
2: spy. Get the full Alan. (laughs) This has gone very partridge,
3: hasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) The full Alan.
2: (laughs) Hello and welcome back to the Ruck. In an exciting last twenty-four hours, Saracens have been beaten for the second week in a row. Eddie Jones has won the World Rugby Award for Eddie of the Year, and the RFU Patron has just announced his engagement. This brings to mind some serious questions like, is the Premiership a competition undermined by the overlap with the international window because the likes of Saracen struggle? Is it right that Eddie should win Eddie of the Year again? Is Eddie Butler ever going to get a look in and should Gareth Edwards be considered? And is Steve Jones stuck again in Datchet or is it that as Rugby Writer of the Year he gets an invitation to the RFU patrons' wedding? Huge topics here. I'm joined today by one former Rugby Writer of the Year, Alan Dimmock, star writer of Rugby World, and two future Rugby Writers of the Year, Johnny Fordham of The Sun and Tom Hamilton of ESPN. Tom was the only man amongst us who evaded Twickenham at the weekend and got himself to the big one in Cardiff. Hello boys, great to see you here. Hello oh, oh, Slotty. Johnny, Alan and I were at Twickenham. Tom, you're at Cardiff. So, if we could have the weekend again, where would we be? Would we all be in Cardiff or would we be in Edinburgh? And how many of us be in Twickenham? I think we know how many we be in Twickenham.
1: To be fair, I didn't miss a second of the Scotland game because I just completely ignored what was going on at the pitch at Twickenham and just watched the Scotland game on my laptop. Well, he's surprising us there, yeah. and. So unprofessional.
3: Yeah. Uh, no, I think Cardiff, I was pretty happy with that one. Uh, Murrayfield looked outstanding, but it's good to see how Wales progressing and uh, also just wonderful
4: to see Ruko Yuani. Johnny, Cardiff or uh, Murrayfield? I think I'm going to throw in a curveball. Having seen the weather, I think we should have all been in Monte Carlo. At the oh, World Rugby Awards. At topical. That, at the French hotbed of um,
1: of rugby. Actually, it would have been great to be in Paris to watch France draw with Japan and then go and see go and see the awards on Sunday evening in Monte Carlo. That would have been a nice wee doubleheader. Oh, why didn't you arrange that then, Dims? Oh, I'm sorry, lads.
2: Are we getting to the stage when France have to qualify for their own World Cup? Or do they just buy their way into that as well? <laughs> um, Bernard Laporte hasn't got on the ruck yet. <laughs> He's not subscribed. Uh, I thought um, I thought Edinburgh looked fantastic, uh, though. To what extent did, did uh, Australia manage to lose the game rather than Scotland winning it? Is that really unfair? I get. I I seem to. Um, uh, be too full of uh, negatives on uh, Scottish matters at least that's so my um, Twitter feed would suggest
1: do, do you think there's anything in that at all? well I think a lot of people would say that it was a, a foregone conclusion when there was a red card, a, a rightful red card for to copy Kepu um, for those that didn't see it it was no arms off his feet hit to the head there's no doubt the about it at all uh, Stonewall red and it was like a young Alan Dimmock yeah absolutely <laughs> well I'm, I'm not fond of gravity that's for sure um, but the I mean, Scotland had already raced ahead to a 10 0 lead well before that. Australia came back, but you know, Scotland played with adventure, brio. There was confidence through everything they did, and you know, having 15 men on the pitch is still not going to solve problems for Australia. Like one massive cut-out pass um, means that Corey Betty misses everyone is in no land, no man's land, and you create overlaps at will. That's the kind of problem that Australia had, and obviously with a man down, that becomes even bigger an issue. But It seems like a horrible end to the tour for Australia. They started so well. Um, I was saying off off Mike when I was on here last week that uh, I was lucky enough to go and watch uh, Australia play Japan in Japan. And Australia looked ruthless. Their backline looked brutal. Japan looked all at sea. Flip it on its head and see what's happened this weekend. And Japan finished fantastically. And Australia looked
4: bereft of ideas and ready to just go and put their feet up. Were were they already on the plane, though? Because I'm not kind of mugging off Scotland or anything, but... England's the main one for them, wasn't it? And they lost that and were their heads gone and they were already thinking, I'd rather be home on the beach right now watching you'd have, the
2: Ashes. you thought that something in them would want to give Stephen Moore a massive... A yeah. successful sign off I mean, uh, Hooper looked like it. They
4: did
3: it.
2: I mean, Mark Hooper afterwards. He 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 didn't even didn't even try to sort of uh to to garnish it with with it wasn't as bad as everyone thought. He just said it was a terrible performance and we feel awful. We let Stephen Moore mm. retire on
3: that. I think also if you look at look back at the game, Scotland left at least three tries out there as well a couple of which were during the time when Australia had 15 men. So the scoreline could and perhaps even should have been even more one-sided in Scotland's favour.
1: I, I mean, I think there is something to that, what Johnny says, though, because I saw some people in Australia had their knives out for some of the pack, saying that their work rate wasn't up there. I mean, that's one of the... Currently, Beal has been phenomenal this season since mm. he's been back in Australia, but that is mm. one, of the, one of the worst <coughs> performances I've seen from him in a long time. It, I mean, he got a, he got a... An elbow to the or a shoulder to the head, it cut him open. There was claret everywhere, and it he just didn't seem right after that. He, he was dropping balls, he was out of position. He, he was, I think this is matches. one for
4: Sam Peters, isn't it?
1: Well, no, I, I don't <laughs> think that was the issue. It was more the fact that he just didn't seem not, not disinterested, but he didn't seem at the races.
2: Yeah, so uh, Eddie Jones was reminding us that Australia were the form team uh, in world rugby two weeks ago. Form team world rugby must be Scotland now. Uh yeah, sorry,
3: I shouldn't have gone to Dan.
2: Of course he's gonna agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my team and world team of the year.
3: Well, they look pretty good, didn't they? I yeah, mean I they, think they've, they've been finishing finishing on a high um is exactly the way Scotland wanna build though. I did like um Mark Palmer's intro to his Sunday Times piece where he said no one does false autumnal dawns quite like Scotland. So <laughs> I think it's when you look at that, but I think definitely they are they're progressing. Look at someone like Byron McGuigan. He, as a premiership player he's one of the guys who's impressed but you wouldn't necessarily single him out as a test player but he was absolutely exceptional against Australia
1: and he was called in yeah. uh, effectively the 11th hour to start that game as well putting a man of the match performance I suppose the thing going back to the the, the concept of, of false, false dons I mean if anything else you don't struggle for atmosphere uh, in Cardiff, but that opening game, Wales hosting Scotland, the first game of the Six Nations, oh. that's going to be a cracker of a fixture yeah. now because the anticipation is just going to build from here.
2: Yeah, big one,
1: massive. Um, Johnny, you said you wanted to be,
2: you wish you'd been in Monte Carlo this weekend. Mm. so Let's talk a bit about that. So that's the uh, the, the World Rugby Awards, um, where uh, talk about the Player of the Year first. Uh, Bowden Barrett, uh, second year in a row. I was surprised about that having watched the, the Cardiff game though the decision had obviously been made before then I'd have, I'd have said that Rico Iwani would have been the, the better shout from the shortlist ahead of him and I personally I would have
4: thought this this was Farrell's year uh, yeah absolutely I, I thought Farrell would get it as well like you say um, I, I was on the, the breakthrough player okay, so I guess they thought okay we'll give that to him and then we'll give it to Barrett again it does always seem like it's the kind of All Blacks Awards anyway um, so I did think that maybe this was the year with the Lions and everything and the kind of chink showing in their arm a little bit that maybe they would diversify it, so to speak, a, a little way and actually go, you know what, Owen Farrell, he, he's done this for the Lions, he's done this for Saracens, he's done that for England. What more does he need to do to, to topple and Barrett? Oh. I, th- I think he's... I think personally, he had a, he had a better year than Barrett. I don't know who it is that decides these awards. Um, and even because Bernard we're... Laporte couldn't buy it for a Frenchman. Sorry, <laughs> exactly. we must stop saying that. <laughs> Poor <laughs> well, Camille Lopez, you know, broken leg, and you know he had a great season, and he yeah. still can't get it. Yeah,
2: but here's Altrad with some money, so let's <laughs> so let's give it to a it's, Frenchman. It's funny, Sorry, I must keep. Stop, it's stop funny saying you say that.
1: that. Altrad's looking like the only horse in the race to sponsor the France uh, national team shirt again this year. Is that right? No one else is bidding against them, so. Well done, Mo. OK,
2: just just a bit of context here of, of, uh, If this seems like too much of an in-joke Mo Altrad is the owner of Montpellier And the uh, owner of Bernard Laporte And the owner of World Rugby so, No, stop it, stop it Sorry.
3: Tom, who would you have given uh, World Player of the Year to? Um, I'll tell you what, watching Rico Ioani on Saturday was pretty special he, he had a direct involvement in four of their tries Four of the five tries, scored two of them himself uh, He's absolutely exceptional 20 years old he scored uh, 10 tries and 11 tests this year. His potential is absolutely frightening. But having said that, I'd have given it to Owen Farrell. I just think he's had an exceptional year. He, um, his accuracy, the way he's also developed his own game, his leadership skills have all come on. I would have uh, happily seen him take Player of the Year. Also, to slightly preempt your next question... Uh, there would have been a good argument for a Farrell double header with Andy Farrell potentially taking coach of the year oh. given how good he was on the Lions tour that's such a clever call um, thanks Lottie see the world rugby just don't think like that do they no but you're going to be in
2: the
4: panel next year uh, probably not he's not from New Zealand so he's ruled out no we, we, we're, we're, we're New not we're not
2: taking that seriously enough I think that's a really good call because uh, the be Lions the success was was very much a Farrell success yep. on Farrell, the coaching front yep.
1: yeah well the thing is they don't think it has to go so for example because the All Blacks are so good most of the time the head coach of the All Blacks gets, uh, gets a to go anyway it's amazing to think of some of the best uh, some of the assistant coaches that worked with the All Blacks for the years who just don't get considered because all the credit goes to Hansen. Mm. um just on on yeah, Johnny saying that the All Blacks seem to win all the awards as well um Portia Woodman won the women's award but actually I think he's a Kiwi he's a Kiwi but I actually I think another Kiwi should have won it. I think Kelly Brazier Uh, for me, should have won it ahead of her because Portia Woodman does a lot of fantastic work going forward. You see her skinning people for for tries as she did in the Women's World Cup. A fantastic athlete in 7s and 15s. But actually, Kelly Brazier makes a lot of what New Zealand do tick and I think she can feel a little bit hard done by but at least she's got a fellow Black Fern to congratulate
2: so the Eddie of the Year award. Um, are there ed- Edwards in rugby that you uh, you would like to nominate there?
1: Um, All right, let's move on to
2: coach. Sorry, that's
4: completely ruined it, <laughs> hasn't it? That's um, that's that's not even
1: Ed Quirk, the Australian flanker with the
4: massive Club
3: dog. Red Eduardo Gori? Gori? yeah. Gory? Gory, yeah. Sorry, ed Barnes, the former London Irish fly half.
1: Great for London
3: Irish. No, but
2: this is an issue, isn't it? The 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 uh, dearth of Edwards in rugby.
4: I mean, how could, how could you ignore Eddie Jones though? I mean, like like Dims was saying about Hansen getting it every single year. that If you like you say, you're not going to give it to a, uh, an assistant coach, so it has to go to a head coach. So who else would get it? Obviously- so sorry, sorry.
2: The, the Eddie of the Year award is the is the coach of the Year award. So you you would have had Eddie ahead of the Lions coach. <laughs> yeah,
4: head and shoulders above him Yeah, why, why head and shoulders? Because I don't think that that Lions. I don't think I think like like Dims and you have just said. I think that the Lions was all down to Andy Farrell, not not Warren Gapman.
2: I think the interesting thing about Eddie winning it. This year, 2017, is, I thought his 2016 was outstanding and his 2017 mm. was uh, a slight flattening off of the improvement curve.
1: Yeah, but I think the thing for that, and it's, it's been one of the themes when you come to see Eddie Jones doing his, his post-match press stuff uh, after, after these November tests, is one of the things that strikes me is it it must be getting harder and harder for Eddie Jones to maintain a siege mentality because things have gone so well from Even though they're not playing well, or not playing to the extremely entertaining standards that we'd expect and want from England at Twickenham, they're still winning. And so it's hard to, to sort of drum up that feeling that everyone's against us, that, that helps teams spur themselves on. So I think one of the great skills of Eddie Jones must be to try and maintain that siege mentality from here on and I don't know what everyone else I, thinks I think it's him.
4: absolutely natural. I think he's just such an edgy character. I mean, the other day I asked him about um, two years in the job uh, on the fifteenth of this month, or whenever it was, that he he was um, announced as England boss, and he and he just started firing off about blaming the press that oh you you all you guys wrote this about Argentina, you don't want us to win consistently, blah blah blah, and, and off he went. It's like ah, that's the easiest question ever. Maybe not.
3: I think just going back to the former point that Gatlin did nothing on Lions tour is extremely unfair. I thought he did a brilliant job and bring it all together. I'm just going to put that on record but with Eddie Jones. Um How was his coffee when you went round to his house? It was I was extremely warmly welcomed by Mrs. Gatland and uh young Bryn and Gabby. It was a it was a lovely afternoon in uh Hamilton. Tom Hamilton in Hamilton. Um <laughs> but equally uh I think Eddie his levels of um micromanagement I think are pretty much second to none. I think if you look at the way that he uh, controls both the team and attempts to control uh, various dialogue around the team as well. It shows how how thorough he is, but it must be absolutely exhausting.
1: Yeah, because um. you see, second to none there. Like, do you see that as a positive? So, Look,
4: I mean, the, he's the, not the, doing the, a bad the, job. The, is he? the players absolutely love him, and that that's all that matters. They absolutely love him, and they they would die for that guy. So, you know, that that is great. I mean, to to get to pick him up after the World Cup and get them to buy into what he's doing so quickly, I think is brilliant.
2: When he took over, and the uh, coach of the year at that stage was Michael Checker, wasn't it? Do you mm. remember how much mirth he had at, at Checkers' expense? He could hardly refer to Checker without referring to him as, as coach of the year, as, it, as if yeah. that was someone to really have a go at. So he's there to be shot at now.
4: As one of our colleagues said after the press conference when uh, Eddie Jones... Was, was raving about Australia being the, the the form team of the year and all this kind of stuff. You know, he, he's just killing them with kindness, and that that's the way it got reported. Because we're all sitting there thinking, does is he actually meaning what he's saying here, or because of the way he's saying it, is he trying to kind of get inside their heads and uh, you know tw- twist twist the twist the psychology there? I think that he's always saying something for a reason. I don't think he would uh, always openly just. Straw out compliments, especially when it's Australia and Australia Week. Why would you be so? He doesn't waste kind the time. There's
1: method behind everything he's said. Absolutely, and he seems to have insulated himself fantastically well. Because as as Johnny mentions, the players not only really respect him, but they they warm to him as well. And that's got help because you can see how other coaches and you mentioned Checker there. The short downfall he's had in this November is is notable. The The results that Asturias have had, but also the way he's blown up. Now, we spoke in the podcast last week about how he, uh, there shouldn't be so much fuss about what he says and how he reacts. It's an emotional game. We like emotional characters. We like colour. That's why we love Eddie so much. Um, but the results that they've gotten have been terrible. And you see what happens with someone like Guy Nauves in France, for example, when you get the impression that the players kind of loathe him for what he's doing so you can't undervalue what Eddie Jones has created in that sure people are terrified of him and I can imagine it's really tough to work under him but as Tom mentioned and as Johnny alluded to he, he gets results and he just seems to have created that barrier between himself and trouble um, whereas some coaches Michael Cech in particular seems to have struggled in stepping between the players and the performances and the press and making things seem make, letting him take the flak, but also allowing the players to do what they do because it looks like it's spilling over onto the pitch for Australia yeah yeah, and I thought Eddie was quite
2: smart he, the way he disarmed that whole situation when he was done for for swearing in the in the box at uh, that yeah. some underhill mistake. You know, he he apologized and then made light of it, and then and then you move on. And, and again, it's all part of his part of the mighty Eddie. His uh, his legend goes on.
1: The fixture list that they've that Eddie Jones has walked into has been very kind to him, and I suppose it's almost inevitable playing some of the teams that they have in November that they're they're going to flat they're going to flatten off. I agree with you in that respect, and that's. But also, they've, because of what they did in the summer, they've they've opened the door for a lot of young guys to get more caps. Surely now is the time to start playing them in the big games. So actually, if things have flattened off, but you've got guys with caps that need more bringing them in that's why I'd like to see someone like Sam Underhill get continue to get a run in the Six Nations and I'd like to see Harry Williams come in in the front row for England as well and actually start because he looks like he's got hell of a promise we already know what someone like Dan Cole, Cole can offer um, in the front row and in a game you know standing set piece gives away penalties um, doesn't offer much coming round the corner let's see what someone like that can fit into an already winning and structured team um, so incremental changes is probably what Eddie Jones should be seeing, and that's where you start getting closer to the track for the the World Cup. Mm.
0: Uh,
2: this is this is like a segue moment, isn't it? This is called a segue when you move smoothly on from one conversation to the next. So we're now going to do our uh, if Six Nations is tomorrow and everyone's fit, who who do we think is, is the first choice England team? So, Alan, you've you've already started. So do you want to read out your team uh, okay. from from top to bottom, and then and then we'll pick it apart. Okay,
1: so. Uh, one I've gone for Marco Vunipola. Hartley uh, retained at captain at hooker, Harry Williams at tight head, that's what I've got Um, because of the back row I see the because of the back row that I think it should be it kind of dictates what your second row should be so I actually think Itoji and Laws should be the second row for that start of the Six Nations because um, because they'll offer more with ball going forward because the back row I see is Robshaw, Underhill and Vunipola, and with the exception of Vunipola's ballast and blast going forward Rob and Underhill maybe need a little help uh, in terms of attack uh, Scrum Half I am kind of I could kind of flip a coin but I'm actually leaning towards Danny Kerr because of his, his brilliance kicking um, is what I see, it's just tactically he offers you a lot I think Ford and uh, Farrell Axis stays Joseph uh, outside centre Daly and me on the wings and I'd like to see Watson at full back that's what I'd go for Does any does um you, so
2: you have gone with Hartley at Hooker. Yeah. Okay, start back, start with Hooker first because I've I've selected Hartley at Hooker as, as well. Even though I've been a Jamie George fan ever since, I think everyone's podcast sitting here began. actually has as well. No,
1: I,
4: I went for Hartley as well. Yeah. I've got Hartley,
2: so that's extraordinary, isn't it? But we we all agree that
1: Jamie George is a better Hooker. I think he I think he's got more strings to his
4: bow, but um, is it? It's just yeah. the dynamic. You know, the one, dynamic, isn't one, it? One thing, I, yeah, it's the dynamic. And one thing I noticed over the ref mic on the on the weekend. Um, when they played Samoa was at a scrum time with, with Hartley in the middle there it's just non-stop chat you know, messages yeah. all the time non-stop, non-stop, non-stop first England scrum against Samoa it was like dead quiet and it was just like oh hang on this is a bit weird and it, se- and it seemed a bit flat as well um, I think that's right but I thought J- Jamie George not- did exactly what Jamie George is supposed to do on Saturday, yeah.
2: which is what England need, which is contribute tempo, hands on the ball, carries, everything to to speed up the England game and to get and to put them on the front foot. Which it's is a what, lovely inside pass for him for the try as well. Yeah, yeah. Which Mike Brown totally failed to do about five minutes earlier.
3: Um, I've got uh, Genge at loose head. I like to see him get a start to start ahead of Mako. I think yeah, I think Mako will be the is the first choice prop. I mm-hmm. like to see Genge. Uh, have a crack at it, proper crack. to Six Nations, see how he can do. I think he's extremely exciting. Uh, then Hartley Williams, Launce Prietoje, Laws, Underhill, Vanapola, uh, Youngs, Ford, Daly, Farrell, To, May, Watson. Yeah, that's well, interesting. Yeah, Joseph is your
2: um, is your thirteen, isn't you? Yeah, I was. I'm with T- I'm with uh, Tom on To. Who's your thirteen, Johnny?
4: Uh, do you know, well, my 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 back back line is Youngs, Farrell. Uh, daily on the left wing, got Tualagi and Slade in the centres. Oh, Whoa. you've gone for Tualagi, yeah. I just, I, 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 did, I, did, I did originally have Tier, but uh, because it was allowed to be if anyone's fit, I just think that laggy, if he can get back to his best, which I don't know how many times this has been said now, probably close to a million, um, it, he will be absolutely devastating. And if he can stay out of the pub as well, um, and then I've got Nowell and Watson to finish that one off, um, and again, I've, I've picked Hartley, I picked Sinclair as the tight head. Nice
2: Dude, But has just got um, Got an Eddie finisher All over him Hasn't he isn't yeah. yeah He's on my yeah. bench
3: a- Along with a- Simmons, a- Hughes Kerr, Toulangi and Noel Does anyone think That Simmons should
2: Should be given the a, a go at seven I mean I actually Have Underhill as my seven But, but They're
3: different players And I, lo- I like What both of them bring He's an interesting no. one Isn't he I think yeah. I think he's definitely Going to feature in that Squad for the World Cup His versatility uh, Is certainly something Which adds a lot In his favour In a game perhaps like Italy, it'd be good to see him play at seven there. Um maybe against France as well. But I think he's I mean he, last year he was playing for was it the Cornish Pirates, so yeah. his his rise has been astonishing. But
1: there's, he is extremely exciting as well. There's a question that comes into that as well, because Italy are the opening game of the six nations for England. Would you like to see England pick their strongest team and stick with them for a full six nations? That that would happen absolutely. But is that what you'd what you'd want to see, or would you want to see a lot more of the younger guys? So, for example, again, starting at loosehead, with um, you know, guy Harry Williams at head Would you like to see more of those guys? I don't think you have keep the them time in the to squad. Do it, do you?
4: you don't have the t- you don't have the time to do it in the Six Nations, though. Well, what? So maybe use them in South Africa. Yeah, I think you have to. I mean, I think, I think that he's pretty sure that he's got well over three quarters of his World Cup squad already sorted. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the Six Nations is going to be because again I think someone asked Eddie the other week if, if uh, when it comes to the World Cup what what will you do in terms of selection? Will you look to kind of change things around a little bit against some games and do things differently against others? And he said no, first team every single game, same team, roll them out, off we go.
2: Eddie did say this on um, on Saturday, didn't he? He said that he needs he needs wise heads. Or was that maybe maybe it was on the Thursday? He was talking about about the the numbers twenty eight to thirty one in his squad and how important they were. And that they're definitely not going to be the next new young thing coming through, they're going to be the really savvy old uh seniors, which I think Dylan might be by that stage, but he'll go whatever as, as, a, as a present. So you can see Wigglesworth fitting into that pretty well, yeah, absolutely. Does that, uh, would that
4: include Haskell as well? Uh, no, he'd be contracted to the doing his co- sun column. Um, I don't know if we would release him for the World Cup.
2: That the sun column's gone down amazingly well, is that true, or I just
4: made that up?
3: No, no, it has, yeah,
4: amazingly well, although, um, yeah.
3: And that's in spite of its ghost writer. That's that's As what well. James
4: Haskell said isn't anyway, he said it's the best column he's ever done.
3: <laughs> he
4: said the ghost <laughs> is fantastic. Since last week.
2: Move on from England. Uh so let's let's do this marks out of ten nonsense, because Eddie hates that, doesn't oh. he? <laughs> what we get? what are we gonna give to England? About a, 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 for the a seven for the autumn?
4: yeah uh, six.
1: Seven seems fair.
3: I think seven's fair. Okay. Look, look at the number of players they had missing. Uh Farrell played one one eighty minute session. It's I think Eddie's played it perfectly the autumn. Does that mean Scotland are a nine?
1: If only for hope. Yeah, absolutely. The the goodwill that's let's, that's let's build them up. Let's build them Come up on. again. Let's build this is this up. is like on, on see we, all over n-
0: again. we need <laughs> a bit more
2: than a hope. They've been outstanding. I mean they, they they've got the belief in
1: What fantastic foundations, slotty. They've they've laid down there. They just need to build on them. Though. And they did it without Stuart
2: The, the trouble as well. with the podcast is people can't see the way you're smiling at the moment with the, with that sort of. Oh, uh, right,
1: because you I want know. me to pile in and say 10 out of 10, <laughs> they're going to win the World Cup. It's going to be amazing. No, I don't. I just. Hey, that's what I've watched Come the on. last two true. games. Yes, that's very true, actually. I've
2: watched the last two games and wish I was at both of them. I think it's been amazing out there. Tell
1: you what, it's been an incredible surprise, the performance as well. Stuart Hogg pulling out of the warm up against Australia as well. You know, no one gave him a, a cat's chance in hell. From there, and the front row changes now. They changed the front row very early on um, in that game against Australia um, to bring Xander Faggison back on, um, uh, having not started the game. Um, but, you know, such pleasant surprises. It's, it's fantastic. I mean, I, I, as I said earlier, that first game of the Six Nations, that's, that's an interesting discussion for another podcast is what team Scotland pick because they've now got a plethora of options for that first game. Of well, my, my
2: question is have they been blessed by Greg Laidlaw's injury?
1: the social side of things you have to factor in as well is that Ali Price and Finn Russell have a near telepathic understanding of each other I think it comes from the fact that they're very how do I say this kindly
2: just don't very it kindly then.
1: Very joy- very joyful but naive young men. So they, they're on the same wavelength as each other. They're been out with everything them? is a joy to them. Everything is, is a pleasant surprise. Um, and I think Alan's quite telling us everything, he knows. Yeah. Um so they've they've got a fantastic understanding with each other and Ali Price just plays a hell of a lick anyway. I mean, he got in trouble against the All Blacks for G-ing up the crowd, and he he apologized. He, he said he he said after the game that he showed the referee his, his his doe eyes because he just got caught up in the moment. And that's the kind of excitement that you get with Scotland at the moment. That's why they're so fun at the moment. It's because they get. But caught you say up in he everything. plays at that pace.
2: That's what Scotland need. Yeah. That's what they've been doing so well. And that, and and absolutely. And when Finn not, Russell, and and when Finn Ladle. Russell
1: kicks like he does from out wide, uh, as he has recently in big games. You know, it's it's hard to see where Greg Ledlo fits in the plan, but he will have to because, as you were talking about um, Eddie's plans for England and how you need those veterans, those those wise heads in a squad around the time. That's what Greg Ludlow is because Greg Ledlo was actually, although he's injured, was actually in and around the Scotland squad through November. He actually held team meetings, according to some of the players according to Gregor Townsend, so he's still very much in with the bricks. He's got Dylan Hartley status, hasn't Absolutely. he? Absolutely, and the thing is, he's <laughs> such a strong-willed character that you're, they're going to they're going to need to rely on him again at some point. You can't yeah. just throw him out. Tom, Wales, marks mm. out of ten. You were there this weekend. Uh, uh, their season
2: hasn't finished. I think they, they've they yeah. got a massive game against South Africa. Now, I'll
3: reserve judgement on the mark until then, but it's they have to beat South Africa for this autumn to be deemed a success. Yeah. Um, you can see what they're trying to do. They're t- certainly trying to build a more expansive style. Um, the the 10-12 axis between bigger and Owen Williams impressed. I thought they, thought they played really well against New Zealand, but they've I think they've also perhaps forgotten maybe what they're good at, which is that I think they really missed Jonathan Davis and George North to provide that the straight running, the people instead of trying to dodge around the defence, they can just power straight through. I think they missed someone like Moriarty as well. Come back in. Josh Navidi was outstanding against uh, New Zealand, as was Rob Evans, but equally, I think their injured contingent there's a lot of injuries around at moments, but when you look at Warburton, George North, Davis, Moriarty,
1: you're seeing a crux that's almost their spine of the team. They need those players back. Tom's hit the nail on the head there. I text him halfway through that, that game on Saturday to say, Where is where's Wales penetration because for all this clamour for them playing a new yeah. style of rugby it just looked like they were passing the ball in front of New Zealand and then going and now we'll run and of course the drift defence just swallowed them up every time it just didn't seem it seems like they've got caught up in the idea of what it's like to, to have nice attack but they've lost the penetration
2: I think that's the Jonathan Davis answer isn't it where mm-hmm. is that I mean I think I think he's the guy who who, who does that and they haven't, they haven't found a way for their system to make that work so they're relying on individuals yeah and, they need and, a, and he's not there They're going
3: to Argentina in the summer And they need to come back from there With, uh, well, with 3-0 Are you serious about that? Yeah Okay, brilliant knowledge do, do you not, uh, Would you not think they should come back from Argentina with a
2: 3-0? You're listening to The Ruck And we'll be back in a minute
0: Selling a little Or a lot
2: Welcome back to the Ruck. I'm Owen Sloss, and I'm here with Alan Dimmock, Tom Hamilton, and Johnny Fordham. The the he- hemispheres, the gap, north and south. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about this. Some people say, "Oh, the uh, All Blacks have dropped off a bit," and then Eddie Eddie Jones says, "Oh, nonsense! What are you talking about?" Um, they've lost th- they'd lost three in in twelve months, so I think that's significant. Uh, what 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 what's the, the the view there, boys? I think Scotland. Uh, Ireland in particular
4: have got a lot stronger. England is strong, so it's. Uh, I feel they are getting closer together. I, I think as a unit, Europe, like you say, Europe's got stronger as a unit. I don't think necessarily that the, the the best of Europe. So say England right now has got any closer, so to speak, to the All Blacks. I think if. England play the All Blacks tomorrow and they both had their, their full strength sides out, the All Blacks would win and I still think that when it comes to the World Cup that the All Blacks are going to win it again, I think England will run them close but the way it's set out, it looks like they're going to get to the, well, if, if it goes to form or whatever, you know, playing fantasy rugby England will meet All Blacks and the All Blacks in the semi-final yeah. and thank you very much, All Blacks will be in the final I think um, I just think that right now England um, just just lack a bit of X factor, maybe. I think that yes, Ford's a good fly half, but Bowden Barrett's so much better. Um, even though he shouldn't have got well played, I just think that someone like him in that team just that trumps them every time. And then you look at the pack as well. You just go through the whole pack. It's astonishing how much
3: expectation, and excitement there already is around next year's match between England and the All Blacks. I imagine they could sell out Twickenham three times over mm. for that.
2: It is like one of those heavyweight. Yeah. boxing title fights isn't it when it's just like become the fight everyone wants
1: to see i mean that's what this game is the, g- the gap as well depends on your perception it doesn't help who the all blacks play every time they go into the rugby championship because we've seen that australian side is pretty much schizophrenic they can be mm. they can turn it on and be amazing and get a, a, his- a historic win against the all blacks or they can be a dirge and just not play very well at all South Africa. got answers on a postcard at what the hell is going on with the South African international team because it seems like they're they're playing musical chairs for selection all the time mm. and when you see that and Argentina have, are not the force that we saw them even five years ago and to see them not kick on but while see other teams in the Six Nations kick on certainly there's so much anticipation about the Six Nations uh, you know I've I've had so many texts already about um, the Calcutta Cup match. Ireland are looking. Ireland are already making noises about the Six Nations. Uh, bring it on. England have a fantastic win streak. So, on paper, it looks fantastic for the Northern Hemisphere. Everything is going swimmingly, whilst everyone is falling away. But as Johnny says, the All Blacks can still turn it on. You know, it didn't. It didn't look at any point like Wales were going to run them close in that in that game, at the weekend. I think. I, th- I think
3: just one other thing <coughs> about talking about the Northern Hemisphere. The, for a united front France are letting the side down somewhat aren't they they are they've taken about four steps backwards during the autumn test and Italy I think it's fair to say is still in transition but France Laporte today said that he's going to look over things and see if change is needed but I think it's inevitable that some change is definitely needed there it's funny, last,
1: last time we came in to do the podcast here last week, uh, Julien Laurent was doing the football podcast, a uh, French journalist, and he said, you need to get into to Guinoves. We don't need to get into Guinoves because the entire French public is baying for his blood right now. The problem is is that they're turning around in France and saying that it's looking like it could cost up to 1.5 million euros to get rid of that French coaching team. So they might have to stick with it. So what happens? Hang sec, they've got someone who deals with that sort of stuff. Absolutely. Bring but- in Moed. Yeah, <laughs> 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 that's that's very true. But what happens because there were noises made about oh maybe Bernie Laporte will, will um, try and have a little bit more of a say. By all accounts, he went into the changing room and had a word with the players at the weekend and was very heated. Um, so it seems completely in, in disarray. But Ginovez is a guy who is unwilling to change. He he dragged Toulouse to the summit of European rugby, but then dragged them down the other side again. Mm. And it looks like he's doing no better with France. So, I mean, so Tom's right. They're absolutely not helping this Northern Hemisphere debate at all. Okay,
2: just on, on on the French thing. Just just an either or answer from each of you. So you can look at France two ways. Either they're so damaged by the structure in the country, with the number of uh, uh, foreigners playing in there, etc., and the amount of access they have to their players, and the fact that the top fourteen uh, doesn't give the, the the national team enough chance. Either that's a problem, or there's still so much talent there. That uh, a decent coach could uh, could
1: save them. Which one? I think there's too much talent there for them to be this bad. Okay. No, yeah, I agree with you there absolutely.
4: I, I think that I think if you look at England and Eddie Jones now getting more access to his players, you, there's a firm argument there that that is what part of this kind of the backbone to this England transition is the fact that he's got more access to his players, more time with them, and I think that that's obviously clearly worked for a positive way for England. So why why couldn't France do that?
2: OK, well, I'm, I'm agreed on that. We're going to uh, finish the pod with just a, a, a flick of a look at, at where we're going back to um, uh, next week the Premiership and then after that we're going to European Rugby. But we've got a week of Premiership and there's been a, a couple of weeks um, during the last two weeks of the, of the autumn where the Premiership clubs have been playing and there have been some pretty strange results. I, I say strange results, but they're kind of familiar in the, every autumn and also in the Six Nations, some of the... Top teams lose because they lose so many, of their, so many of their top players. So, uh, is the premierships, um significantly undermined by the fact that this happens time after time?
1: Well, I think one of the standout things from this this weekend of Premiership rugby is it didn't help to play at home at all. There's some massive victories away from home. You got Exeter winning at, at Allianz. You had Gloucester winning away. Worcester winning um, at Welford Worcester Road. at Welford. That mm. was a massive score. I mean, it's a. You're right. There were some topsy-turvy results, but. How they sh- how they shake out in the Premiership is I think a lot of it is down to personnel missing. You're right. I mean, Exter just managed to pip. They held on for seven or eight minutes after taking the lead and, and did just enough to to defeat Saracens. But Saracens are a completely different team in this window. But this comes down to the age old argument, as you mentioned there. Do you think that teams should be playing in this window, Johnny?
4: No, because uh, the thing about the Premiership is it gets completely lost during autumn internationals and during the Six Nations. And the thing about the league is that there's There are people who enjoy watching rugby but will go and watch England play rugby. They don't have any kind of Premiership allegiance and they wouldn't be able to tell you who's playing in the Premiership, who's top, you know, all all this kind of stuff. And that's because it's just hidden away, scurried away on on BT Sport because the Premiership signed up to this big deal. And the whole thing gets completely lost. Um, And it has done for years now. I think that it's a shame that the the league plays second fiddle in the way to the, the international scene. I think that they're both great competitions you know some we've seen some great premiership games already this year so why can't we keep it true to what it is and just keep it running through um sorry keep, you know, go go for a break anglo-welsh i think just a bit of a, a powder puff competition isn't it for the kids um that that's not working at all and the, you know the premiership should be king and i don't think they should be playing when it's international it doesn't matter if they've got a few of their players back or not they should have full strength sides out all the time but the only thing is if, if they then took a break then someone like Owen Farrell or you know someone like Elliot Daly who plays every single in- England international sorry he didn't but um, you know come from the Lions, play the- heavily in the lines heavily in England's autumn despite having an injury at first goes back to his club he'd have to play again so it's it's a tough one but my personal view would be that it, it would be brilliant to work out a way of getting it so the premiership wasn't playing during England and Scotland games etc but that's going to be a longer season and no one wants a longer season either.
3: I think it's going to be fascinating to see how uh, the players get brought back in, the England players especially uh, reintegrated because looking at the weekend's fixtures you've got, there's some big games there, you've got extra against Bath on the Saturday, you've got Gloucester against London Irish, Wasps are playing Leicester and both teams there will be desperate for victories. Similarly on the Sunday you've got Harlequins against Saracens, Harlequins John Kingston, uh, Director Robbie, said they have approximately 30 players unavailable for their game against Jeez. Bath. Are they going to start? Well, they, they will, I imagine they'll have to start the likes of Marler, Rob Shaw, Danny Kerr, bring them straight back in. And then on Friday, it being Northampton, a pretty average season by their standards against Newcastle and Worcester against Sale. Big games for all of them, really. It's we're at the sort of tipping point now where the there is a divide between the top of them and the foot of the table. And if the guys, if the teams have their England players, you imagine they're going to want to play them as much as possible.
4: But then you've got Europe. Straight afterwards as well. So how how do you juggle that? How-
1: and and in between you've got test rugby still cannibalising yeah. club rugby <laughs> this because, weekend, of course. Because yeah. you've got Wales playing South Africa. Just chuck another test in there for good measure. And on that
2: bombshell, this is uh, this is the end of the rut. Thanks very much uh, to Alan, Tom, and Johnny. Um, World Rugby Awards last night. The failed to mention that the podcast of the year was.